Hey, Lily, what's the collective noun for a bunch of product people? Oh, I don't know, Randy, but um, I came up with a discovery of product managers the other day. Ooh, I like that one. Um, but I think it was years ago, might have even been the first Mind the Product conference, Martin Erickson and the crowd decided that the right uh, collective noun was a compromise of product managers. Oh, yeah, that's quite appropriate. But it's also kind of sad. I think I prefer for it to be a discovery. <laughs> I know. I mean, compromise is not why I got into this line of work, and it's certainly not what keeps me doing it. Yeah, um, I'm definitely more into the discovery side than uh, and the learning and not the compromising. <laughs> <laughs> as people who work with me know. Um, but anyway, I won't get into that. <laughs> um, why do you still do this job then? I really like a job where I can be a generalist and learn new things all the time and never really be sure exactly what I'm going to be learning about. That definitely works for me too. And I think I know what's on your mind. You might know me a little too well. <laughs> Today's <laughs> guest is Makera Kigaraba. He and I actually worked together for a while before he left me to go off and become the principal product manager for an African fintech called Mcopa. And when we've gotten a chance to talk, he shared some really incredible things, uh, some incredible learnings with me. And he's here today to share them with everyone else. So let's get to the chat. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Makara, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a while since I've seen you. How's it going? Hey, Randy. Hey, Lily. Uh, it's going great. Um, summer's almost here, so super excited. So we actually uh, worked together for a while, so I know your background, but... For everybody else, can you just give a quick little intro? How did you get into product in the first place? And what are you up to these days? Yeah, sure. No worries. So yeah, my name is Makara Kiraba. Um, I've been in product now for probably about 10 plus years, starting to show my age. Um, like a lot of PMs, I think I got into product really by accident. I originally wanted to be a wealth manager slash commodity trader when being a finance bro was all the rage back in Switzerland. And I got into products um, really with my first job at uni, joined from a graduate program. I was working for a company called uh, Reuters or Thomson Reuters at the time. And they had you go through kind of three different rotations. And the last rotation was a junior product manager role for a product called Reuters Wealth Manager. And as the name implies, it was a web-based product for all things wealth management. And really that's how I got stuck in uh, and loved it ever since. So we worked together uh, doing some payments related work in the entertainment industry, but you've moved on since then. So you're in a new role now. You're uh, leading a product team at a company called Mcopa, correct? Am I pronouncing it right? No, that's correct. Uh, so yeah, I work as a principal PM for Mcopa, 
where my team's function is to essentially deliver digital financial services. So think kind of like insurances or cash loans. And what Ucopa does as a, as a company is we enabled underbanked customers in Africa get a wide range of products without collateral or guarantor. So the way we do that is we combine micropayments with Internet of Things technology to make the financing more accessible. And in a nutshell, if you want, people will get a, let's say like a phone, one, one of our products is a mobile phone, a smartphone. They'll get the phone, put a deposit down, maybe between 10 to $20, uh, depending on the, the phone model. And then they will make, whether it's daily uh, micropayments or they can do it like, uh, you know, they can bundle up a, a couple at one time. And then at the end of six months or 12 months, they own that, that product. Uh, so it's really a path to ownership for, for a lot of uh, customers uh, in, uh, in Africa. Uh, so Kenya, Uganda, uh, Ghana, Nigeria, and we're going to be launching into a new market uh, soon. So Makera, you've now started working on products in very different markets to previously. How did you learn about the African market when you first started with Mkopa? Yeah, no, so I've always been interested at applying my skills within the African market. I think, you know, probably from, you know, early in my career, I identified the need or the desire to work in the African market. Um, so I've always been something that I've been following. I've been following the startup scene uh, in Africa. So Incopa was like one of the companies that was on my radar. But some of the things that, that are different at Incopa uh, from a FinTech perspective or a product perspective in comparison to where I previously worked, has really been around the kind of three areas that I can think of is access, accessing the customers, um, thinking about customers and their difficulties from a price sensitivity perspective. And then probably, you know, when you think of the African sphere, the diversity of people. A lot of people don't necessarily always think this, but Africa is a very diverse space. I think there's, oh, I should know this. There's like uh, 54 countries, uh, thousands of languages, and so you have to take that mindset uh, when uh, delivering products in these markets because it's not as homogeneous as, as you know, even I would have thought initially. So how how did you learn about each of the different markets in terms of their attitudes and stuff? Was it a lot of learning from the company, like when you joined, like a, a research team, or or have you kind of embedded yourself in each of those different markets as well? Um, to really sort of get that understanding, because I'm I'm curious when you when you start somewhere new, there's always so much to so much information to onboard. So it's always interesting to see like how other people try and assimilate that information. Yeah, no, um, I think there's there's a there's a multitude of factors that help me onboard quickly. Randy might chuckle here, but one of the things that I love about Hope and I think every company should do is they have really good um, just understanding of the market, like a lot of research, a lot of documentation for the different markets that we operate in. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're in Kenya, we're in Uganda, Nigeria, and Ghana, and those are all very different places. So just from the get-go when I started, uh, there was a lot of research that I could you know, dig myself into and better understand our pain points, industry in those different areas. But then equally as important, um, I also did a lot of 
personal research you know, from our competitors' perspective, looking at different apps, uh, understanding our customer as much as I could before um, going on uh, on locale and really speaking to the end users. So with this type of product, it's really important to have empathy for the customer because I, I am African, I'm from Tanzania, but we are very different and our lives uh, and our experiences are very different. So you do need to embed in, uh, and build that empathy for what the customer is facing on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to properly respond to uh, their needs and, and, and wants. So that I think those are the kind of the three combinations that I leverage. So what the product, what the company had, sorry, in terms of research, my own kind of intuitiveness, um, and then also probably the, the last one being the, you know, the more strongly weighted is in market uh, research. And I got to spend a couple of weeks out in Kenya, Uganda, um, and Tanzania. So, uh, Makara, one of the things we talked about prior to, to our chat tonight is you had mentioned uh, in your trip to Africa a huge disparity between some of the locations, between incredibly dense urban populations, really well-developed, and then some other spaces outside the cities that had you know, almost surprising technology in some ways and real challenges. I'm wondering, how did that affect your ability to do research? What kind of things did you have to brush up on or change in your approach to doing it uh, outside the urban centers? Yeah, so I think I'll... You know, when I visited um, Kenya, one of the things that surprised me the most, again, was their kind of 4G connection. It's, you know, it's, it's super powerful. I think something like uh, Kenya has about 90, 90% of like 3G connectivity across the board. Uh, and in Nairobi, the 4G connection is what I would say probably on par, if not better, than what I've experienced here in the UK. Uh, so testing and, 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 and validating things remotely. So I'm based in London with those sort of densely urban areas is relatively straightforward. You know, we use apps like Maze, uh, get in contact with customers, send them links, uh, have them go through different flows, A-B test those flows, uh, and that's really just uh, straightforward. But we do have a, and I think a lot of African uh, startups will have uh, customers in less urban areas. So whether, and this could be, maybe as much as you know, 20 kilometers on the outskirts of, of Nairobi, where you really need to go in uh, on the locale and start speaking to the customer and start showing them the flows, really to understand the pain points. And so for me, the things that I needed to br brush up was sort of remove some of the biases that I had already through, through years of kind of uh, interacting with different uh, user personas or so folks um, namely based in the U.S. and the U.K., uh, to sort of change my mindset and have empathy for these customers who maybe might be using a smartphone for their first time. And so those are some of the things I need to brush up. It's really around empathy and then around putting yourself in their, in their livelihood uh, to focus on that. Does that also cause issues with um, like QA or testing as well um, in terms of like understanding or, or kind of ensuring that the products work for more different networks? I don't know if this is a really stupid question, but no. <laughs> I imagine there's like so many different levels of connectivity and also devices that are available um, that then you have to, if you want to make sure that you're 
designing for everyone, you really have to kind of QA all of those different uh, varieties as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the good thing is in Copas, I'm based in London, but our headquarters are in Kenya. We have offices in Uganda. We have offices in Ghana, Nigeria. So predominantly, you know, probably about 80% of our, our employees are based in market. And, you know, when it comes to testing, so you're right, when it comes to testing, we do have to test for, in, in, the, in the case of phones, we'd have to test for Android phones and Nokia phones. But the in-market teams have that expertise um, to be able to test against that. We have easy access to those those customers. So, you know, if it's, you know, customers within our office, uh, we're within this kind of the urban areas in Nairobi or in, in Kampala, our QA teams, um, our designers can easily have access to them. But everything else is still very much the kind of QA testing that you would expect here, whether it's on the front end or the back end, that part doesn't change very much. It's more really around when you need to have a customer go through a flow is when it can be a little bit trickier because you do need to go on, lo- uh, on location uh, to for them to actually inter- for you to interact with them uh, and understand how they use your products really. Mac, one of the things you've talked to me about in the past is not just the urban and rural divide or the richer and poorer divide, but other types of divides, different type of customer segments that you might not have dealt with before. I'm thinking specifically, you've talked about the credit invisible. You've talked about the uh, the way that men and women potentially even bank. What did you learn about them and how did you approach that? Yeah, no. So I think the, the, the thing that um, fascinated me the most was um, I had dealt previously with what, what is considered credit invisible. I mean, even here in the UK or in Europe or in the States, there are individuals who are "Quote unquote invis- invisible from the financial um, institutions. Uh, maybe in this, in, in, in maybe the UK context, someone doesn't have a credit score because then maybe they are a newly uh, immigrated individual. So we don't have a credit score on them, and they're called credit invisible. So similarly, in the in the African context, uh, in whether it's Kenya, Uganda, you would have an individual who." a financial institution might not be ready or willing to provide them with a loan so that they can improve uh, their livelihood, whether it's a loan to buy a car or for uh, their farming and whatnot. And so the interesting for me was, A, the the combination of how, you know, companies like Nkopa can make these people visible, essentially. Uh, And so by allowing them to purchase something uh, using micropayments on credit and build up a quote-unquote credit score, which we could share with our partners should we want to. If 2022 is the year you're looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired, and bring the best products to market, then join Mind the Product for their next conference this May. At MTPCon San Francisco plus Americas, you'll soak up invaluable insights from an epic lineup of the best in products, covering a range of topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager. You've got the option to go fully digital for both days or get the best of both worlds with a hybrid ticket, digital on day one and in person at the SF Jazz in San Francisco on day two. 
I was at the most recent edition of this event in London last year, and it was just awesome. Get tickets now at mindtheproduct.com. So with regulation um, in Africa, I'm not really sure how regulated it is, but having come from like myself, I've worked in insurance, which is fairly regulated and it's there to to protect the individual. Um, so how like how what what is the regulation like and how do you ensure if the regulation isn't that strict um, that you um, are protecting the individuals and like you say you're kind of making individuals more visible through the data that you're able to to process about that person but then I guess you're also taking on a, a certain amount of responsibility for ensuring that that information is used in a ethical way yeah no so um, I think in, in this in the scope of digital lending which is kind of one area that Corpo operates under um, we're starting to see much, much more regulation coming to effect. Um, so I'm by, by far not an expert in, in regulations, uh, but you know some of the regulations that I've seen come into into effect or coming into effect uh, in Kenya, for example, uh, really are there just to better service the customer. So it's it's great to see, first of all. So it's stuff like making sure the customers understand uh, the interest rate APR making sure that um, there is the appropriate KYC uh, documentation that's gathered. Uh, so all this stuff is, at the end of the day, will we'll provide the customer a better experience. I think across the board, if, if you look after across the board, I would expect, you know, where com- or countries like Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa are leading, the others will soon follow. Um, so I think w- when it comes to regulation, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, that countries are, 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 are understanding that they need to protect their citizens and uh, putting in put in effect the regulation uh, that's required. So that's a great thing. In terms of the way I approach things is, you know, I think we, irrespective of the geography you're operating in, I've always taken the approach of, you know, building things best in class, building things that aren't spammy, um, which is, is something that, you know, we, we really want to avoid. And so for even prior to regulation or in the markets where the regulation is not so strict, we always take the approach where uh, by we're there to service the customer and make sure we protect their privacy, their identities, and ultimately uh, their money or any money that we'll handle. So you've got uh, some other challenges that are maybe more technical in scope as well. You've Mm -hmm. talked about uh, the fact that people may not keep their data on, for example, and things like that. What kind of challenges do you have in building? What's the difference in approach when you when bandwidth might be limited or data might be limited uh, for some people? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was one of the things going into this role. Uh, I, I think we talked a little bit about removing biases. So, you know, myself coming into it, I thought, oh, well, I'm surely I can't be biased because I'm Tanzanian. I understand this customer, I understand their problems, you know, having lived in Tanzania, gone back to Tanzania, I, I thought I would be, um, I wouldn't necessarily come in with biases. Um, but I think one of the things that I did learn is, you know, we always need to kind of ensure or, or cross, just double check and, uh, and, and make sure that 
we, we don't, our biases don't bleed in. So from a kind of data connectivity perspective, one of the things the anecdotes that I picked up is, you know, customers, for example, will, because um, they're price sensitive, they might turn off data notifications or push notifications because they just don't want it to consume their data. Uh, I think the price of, you know, one GBP has drastically reduced over the last couple of years in Africa with um, kind of like the, the, you know, fiber optics cables being laid down, but it's still relatively expensive. I think there's a, the, the price is like one GBP could be up to 10% of someone's um, monthly wage. So, you know, that could be as equivalent of like one Netflix show costing 10% of your, of your monthly wage. So, so those are some of the challenges that we've observed from a product perspective is how do you get your information across to a customer if they're turning off their push notifications? You know, obviously you can go through the SMS route, but you know, the, the customer experience isn't as good as push notifications. Uh, so some of the things that, you know, whether it's in Copa or other companies do is you might decide to sponsor the data so that, you know, the push notifications that happen uh, within the app, uh, the customer doesn't pay, uh, but they still get, you know, critical information to their phone. Are there fundamental differences in the user experience? Are you changing the, the way you work with the dev team in terms of uh, how heavy the pages are and things of like that? Or is it purely about the notifications? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it's changed the way I work with the development team. Um, I, I have the, the interesting thing with where I work now at Impopa is I have, my dev team is uh, based literally all over the world. So I have developers uh, in Uganda, uh, Nigeria, the UK, uh, the Ukraine. Um, so that hasn't changed in terms of how we do, how we deliver products. But to your point around uh, simplicity, uh, to your point around the user flows, I think that's where there's been a slight shift um, just because of the, the persona, the customer type. We tend to see much better conversions, much better user experience when we try and keep the, the flow is very simple, very clean. We also, I think localization is, is key in these markets. So like, for example, in Kenya, localize it to Kiswahili or, or even in Uganda to Kiswahili. Um, and also one of the things that we're testing out is more use of imagery to explain certain concepts that, uh, you know, maybe here is a little bit more familiar to someone, but over there, uh, might be something that they're, they're less familiar with. So, for example, if you need to KYC someone, you know, you know, how do you explain the fact that, you know, as a as a regulated company, uh, we we need to gather certain pieces of information to you in order for us to provide you these, you know, said services. So, those are some of the, the differences uh, there. And I think you said earlier around, you know, the the differences in the kind of education levels of just like understanding certain financial terms mm -hmm. across the board. How do you kind of like cater for that within the design? Because you've obviously probably got some people who are just really comfortable and familiar with all of that terminology. And then others who are, you, you know, this is the first time they're coming across those terms. No, that's, yeah, no. Um, I think, you know, understanding APRs um, is, is always difficult for anyone ever in the world. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I don't, I don't think that cha that challenge has changed, but um, I think what we have been doing, and I think that's what's going to show uh, showing promise, is what I mentioned around 
making things a little bit more visual. So if you're trying to ex explain to someone, let's say, for example, you're paying X amounts now and you have taken on, let's say, a new, a new loan or you've taken on a new product and so your daily amount will increase. You know, I could, I could, I could, you know, I could write that in copy, but it's, if I can visually show it to someone or I can use some sort of animation, that for our customer type is easier for them to comprehend. And that's something that's quite key for us is ensuring that the customer knows what they're signing up to, which comes a little bit into terms of like uh, making sure the customers don't get uh, in over indebted. Um, so by really making it clear what they're signing up to. And so by visually showing things, that's quite of a, a helpful way of doing it. But at the same time, I think there's also um, something to be said around, you know, our, our customers are also uh, very aware of price points because they're price sensitive. And so, you know, some of the standard frameworks around, you know, putting things in uh, FAQs uh, is still very prevalent. So maybe you don't have to have it, you know, all over the, the, the customer journey, but you can definitely link out to somewhere where they can get more information to better understand before what this before signing up to something. And is there anything you've learned in your kind of early time at MCOPA um, working in, in this new kind of space um, and with these new markets that you think, oh, I'll definitely use that if I start another business? Um, any uh, sort of like key takeaways from, uh, ex you know, working in, in a very different business? Yeah, no, so I think there there's, there's definitely a lot of learnings, uh, things that I've I will carry forward to me in whatever other role that I have. Uh, I think the, the number one would really be around, and it sounds cliche, but customer empathy. Um, I think a lot of times, if you're operating in a market, if you're building a B2C product in a market that you're familiar with, you can lean in a little bit on your own experiences. So, for example, I used to be uh, a product manager uh, for a digital bank here in the UK called Moniz. And so a lot of the flows, a lot of the problems um, that we were trying to solve for were things that either myself, colleagues, friends and family uh, had experienced or the wider community which I was living in was experiencing. So I think while there are some biases there, because we're not all alike, you can lean in on that experience. However, I think in, in a market where it's very different to uh, how you're living uh, or, or where you live. I think the, what's key and what's important is to really dig deep in the customer empathy and understand why people are doing things the way they're doing things. So, for example, you know, like they, what I mentioned around people turning off uh, their data because they don't want to receive push notifications. I mean, to me, that might seem as you know, I, why, why would why would why I would never do that? But it makes perfect sense in, in that context. People don't need any, any unnecessary downloads. So another issue that I think a lot of African fintechs or a lot of African startups might have is, you know, the ability to continuously update their um, their apps. Again, because customers see are conscious about uh, using data, they might reg more less regularly update their apps, uh, and so. The ability to modify things quickly gets impacted. So whether you have a different patch, a different release, that gets impacted. So I think 
digging deep, understanding the customer, and then finding a solution that works for them in their context is super key. And I think you know that that carries weight whether it's you're building stuff for the African context, the Asian context, uh, or the American context, wherever you are in the world. So. Speaking of different contexts, you said earlier uh, that there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different languages to potentially deal with. You're dealing with a bunch of different countries with different contexts, and you're trying to balance this with the challenge of not overloading the app uh, and, and what you're trying to do. So how do you prioritize or how do you make a decision about when to do localization? Um, and how do you balance that, those two competing things yeah so just yeah that's i think it's a challenge definitely for sure um i think for top of my head africa has 54 countries and i think somewhere between a thousand five hundred two thousand languages so uh and those are official languages uh, which i think in comparison to europe it's uh close to 300 languages and i won't make an attempt of how many countries but um i think you can start to see that they, you know, you have to sort of pick and choose what you're going to localize. Uh, and it doesn't make sense to localize everything. So the good thing is in East Africa, for example, uh, there is Swahili or Kiswahili, which covers Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, is spoken some in Rwanda. Uh, so you can kind of, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a no-brainer right there. It's like if you have Kiswahili, you can cover a wide range of countries in that sense on top of the english i think where you know decisions have to be made is when you, you look at a country like uganda and they might be you know 100 200 languages there uh and one language let's say like luganda is spoken predominantly in the capital kampala um so the question is like do you translate it but if you're translating into luganda you might only be translating for folks in the capital but you're not servicing everyone else. And so I think as, as you sort of have to make decisions based on data and based on your customer time. So, you know, in, in this context, if we were servicing 80% of our customers in Kampala, in Uganda, then maybe translating to uh, Luganda makes sense. Um, but I think when we look at right now products or, or apps being built in Africa, predominantly they're going to be in English, or maybe like in the East African case that I've seen, they're going to be translated Kiswahili. I've seen very few apps translated into some of the more, uh, some of the other languages. But I would hope and I suspect that, you know, in order to access more and more people and get more and more people to understand your app and what you're looking to do, we're going to have to make moves into into that space and making sure that we're, we're creating really local apps uh, that people get and understand. That makes sense. Mac, this has been fantastic. I could ask you questions about working in, in markets that I'm not used to, that I don't have experience with all day long. And it's really interesting to hear about your experiences in it. Unfortunately, though, we don't have all day. We have run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. 
Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>